0: That Naturopathic Podcast, (laughs) TNP. Hello
1: there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Dionisio.
0: And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you.
1: This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health.
0: This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine but you definitely don't feel very well.
1: This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even 5 medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle or a long term game plan.
0: This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you but no one is really putting it all together.
1: This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it.
0: And we want you to know it.
1: Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. All right, we're back with another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. This is Dr. Kara,
0: And this is Dr. Dave.
1: And we are breaking script again today. And in fact, I think we have our first solo non-naturopathic doctor guest today. Um, but we felt this was a really important topic to, uh, to break out of our ND circles.
0: Yeah, super important yeah. topic, we're going to talk about um, toxicity and environmental health and we've got a, an amazing expert uh, today, um, Emma, so do you want to do you want introduce Emma?
1: Sure, um, so we have Emma Roman here today, so Emma is an environmental engineer, a mom of two, and she's the founder of Green at Home, so she helps moms and moms to be reduced toxins at home without overwhelm, I could use that piece. <laughs> um... And uh, she's a part of the David Suzuki Foundation, Queen of Green Coach. She's also a guest lecturer at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. Woo-hoo. So we've got some good ND ties there. And uh, she has a certificate in environmental health uh, from the University of Arizona. And so we are very, very happy to have you here
2: today, Emma. Welcome. Yeah, welcome. Hello. Thanks so much for Hi. having me. And I'm excited that you broke your mold for me.
1: I think, you know what, this is such an important topic. And I mean, at its core, naturopaths, you know, in the healthcare field anyway, um, you know, this is near and dear to our hearts, but, um, you know, it's great to learn from someone who really is an expert and, you know, you've kind of dedicated your career to learning about this. So why don't you tell us about that? How did you get um, to be where you are in helping coach um, moms reduce their toxic burdens at home?
2: Sure. Um, so I didn't plan for this to be my, uh, current career anyways. For the longest time, I was going to be a veterinarian. Um, but then I realized, uh, that I didn't want to do that anymore and landed in environmental engineering at university and didn't really know what I wanted to do there. Um, luckily, at university of Waterloo where I went it was a co-op program and so I discovered a lot about what I didn't want to do uh, but also found um, what I did want to do so I landed on my passion career of green buildings and so that's what I did on co-op and then right out of um, university and I worked in the commercial green building space as a project manager um, for the better part of a decade and it was My own green living journey started really in university. Um, We learned a lot about water treatment and what we were putting down our drains and what water treatment plants could and could not remove. Um, At one point, I could design those. Don't ask me to do it now. (laughs) But uh, that really launched me into thinking a little bit differently about the products that we were using. And so as a university student, I started using green cleaners and it snowballed from there and so it was a slow process and you know 15 years ago the products that were out there didn't work very well you know green products Mm -hmm. have a reputation for a reason Um, and so it really it was a slow kind of chipping away process and when I had my kids that further propelled me to think more um, deeply about more products and I ended up doing the biggest deep dive research project of my life uh, when I was on mat leave with my second, because I quite frankly wanted to learn that everything that I was doing didn't matter. I kind of wanted to quit, but I, I need the science to back up those sorts of decisions because I'd already been doing it for so long. Um, so you can probably guess that that's not what I discovered. I learned how important it was and I learned the gaps that I had been missing. And, um, I started Green at Home as a blog because I was having a hard time finding that middle ground of information. I. Didn't I was a you know urban working mom. I wasn't a homesteader kind of. I wasn't. I'm not a DIYer. And a lot of the kind of eco bloggers were in that space. And then on the flip side, some of the more science based um, resources weren't. They didn't have the practical like how to, or they were so biased or one sided that I I still couldn't come up with a decision. So I made my blog to kind of create that middle ground and. Uh, It's it turned into my um, full time business. So I took kind of what I had been doing in my career from making indoor spaces and communities um, healthier and more sustainable and now focus on helping the individual and the family uh, with their healthy home goals.
1: Awesome. Um, I, uh, maybe later on, I'll, I, I had a similar evolution, but I think I quit in my family of just getting overwhelmed. So maybe we'll get to that later. But I do really want to start with why this is important. So, you know, what the science is about what the chemical soup is that we're living in or putting on our bodies or bringing into our homes and what the health impacts of that are. So
2: it's such a big question. That's a huge and question. Yeah. What, what I have really come to understand is that toxins are the missing pillar in our full kind of healthcare routine. Um, we have a general understanding of nutrition and movement and stress and sleep and toxins have been this kind of Uh, outsider, where it, it, you know, it gets sort of mentioned in passing, or there's a lot of um, uh, misconceptions and misunderstandings about it. And so I really want to help drive the conversation to bring it up to the same level as the core elements that we already know about, like nutrition, sleep, and that stuff. Uh Um, Because they... They really are um, on par, and it straddles all of those. So, the reason I think that um, you know that toxins are slower to catch up in that conversation is that the research needs time to mount. And what we're finding now is that all of the products that are on the market that we've been using for decades, we now have enough data to show that rates of cancer and reproductive issues are increasing faster than can be explained by genetics. So that argument has kind of been thrown out the window. We're seeing ties with um, newborns having these toxic chemicals in their bodies at the time of birth, when previously it was thought that the placenta protected them from it. And so we're at this stage now where the old kind of understanding and ways of thinking are being um, debunked a bit slowly, but the pace is picking up substantially. So um, environmental toxins play a role in just about every part of our bodies. And they are, I mean, the laundry list of health issues that they're linked with is huge. Everything from, um, reproductive issues, to obesity, to diabetes, to cardiovascular issues, to neurological issues, to developmental issues, allergies, asthma. Um, And that's because, largely because of hormone disruptors. And that is kind of the class of chemical that I really started to focus on um, more specifically because they target every system in our body and they are so prevalent that... um, the small amounts that we're exposed to are absolutely without a doubt impacting our health.
0: Yeah. I think uh, like part of that problem, maybe you can expand on it. I'm just sort of throwing this at you, Emma, sorry, but like I, I worked with a, um, with a toxicologist at a job uh, at a regulatory place in Toronto called Dicentra. And uh, she said, the whole premise of toxicology being like the LD50 is a, is a major problem. Yes. Um, maybe that's a bit nerdy or maybe it's a good place to start. Cause I think if, if you set a bar, like a standard of toxicity being an LD50, you are m- missing so much. And maybe could you use that as a sort of jump off point?
2: Yeah. And I, I think, you know, when people think of a toxic substance, they think of something that will kill you. And what. I think we need to be moving towards is that being healthy doesn't just mean not being dead yes. and so uh the toxins that I'm talking about the environmental toxins you know they're not things that have an ld50 which is a certain concentration that at um, at a certain what is it? at a certain amount it will kill kill half 10, the population percent of, of the uh, rats or mice at least the rats or or whatever (laughs) whatever is being used um that's not the definition that is used for environmental toxins um in the way that i talk about them the and so when we get hung up on toxicity being something that can kill us we're missing this whole other part of leading vibrant um healthy lives and our definition also conditions like Um, PMS and asthma and allergies, and I'm picking on those because those are things that I um, struggled with, Uh, those have just kind of been defined as normal and somebody with these is considered healthy. Just because they're normal doesn't mean that they are healthy or that we have to just put up with it and
0: see that is that that's so cool that you brought that up because that's the premise of our entire message of the show
2: yeah absolutely and that's, that's where, exactly um, it it's for those reasons that i actually started seeing a naturopath um again back in university um and it's where i kind of fell in love with that whole process of treating the whole person and understanding that difference between um the medical care that we get you know, doctor, medical doctors have an absolute purpose and are needed. Naturopathic mm-hmm. doctors have a totally different skill set mm-hmm. um, and I think are needed as well. And so that's one reason why I love teaching naturopaths, too, because I think I, I really think naturopathic medicine needs to have a much stronger place in our healthcare system. Um, And so I do borrow a lot of what I've learned from working with naturopaths and what you guys are all about. Obviously, I don't deal with internal health. That's not my jam. Um, But it's that whole concept of really looking at your health differently and holistically.
1: And I mean that this problem here of how we're looking at toxins to our health is pretty insidious in in medicine it's like it's like looking at iron levels it's like yes the reference range is five to to, you know the bottom range is five so you know if if you're under it then maybe you're not getting oxygen and maybe we should think about it right yes yeah it's just yes and then i think as you were speaking and and again this is where i even i have problems maintaining the level of diligence i need to. Um, in the toxins in my environment is that it's not and it's not an obvious a equals B, right And we have trouble with that even in diet mm-hmm. where people now start to understand sometimes like I eat this, I get diarrhea, right mm-hmm. but but or perhaps they might kind of get, oh my diet long term is making me feel a certain way but this doesn't have that same, like like it does. It has that A equals
2: B, but it's kind of a hidden problem. Not at the same urgency or same urgency Your, as other yeah. things. Absolutely. And that's that's another kind of challenge, I think, with with getting it more um, mainstream. And, you know, it's not like we're not talking about the individual chemical in an individual product. So it's not like I can say, oh, if your shampoo has parabens in it, stop using that shampoo and you're not going to get cancer or your hormones will magically be balanced. Like that's not how it works. I wish that were, it was so easy as just doing that, right? Yeah. Um, But it's the accumulation and the, where we're at now started really like post-war when we started having so many more chemicals in industry and in our environment and it's just been this slow build-up of generations of exposures to different things like DDT was kind of the initial wave of looking at the impact that what we're using uh, on our crops and on our food and how that can affect our health, and we we're in this same pattern. Like we see it happen over and over and over again. Um, and I I really want us to get out of that, so that we can uh, just get out of the this loop of industry constantly coming up with new problems that end up being in existence for decades, mm-hmm. and then it taking us that long to figure out that it's um, harming us.
0: Yeah, it's based on that kind of illusion that everything is separate whereas we know everything's connected so if you you know kill some sort of life form all that life forms you know came from some some common origins a lot of it Mm -hmm. so you can't really like kill like insecticides or whatever you could speak more about this i shouldn't speak about this but it's just the concept of uh killing one thing and thinking it will have nothing to do with the rest of the environment around it
2: yeah and i think um The other aspect of it is, you know, we've siloed it to the point of, well, so there's two issues here with um, the amount in our products that we use every day is too small to affect us. So there's two issues with that. The one that I want to dovetail off of your point, Dave, is the somebody else upstream is being exposed to much higher concentrations And so by choosing these products that have low amounts, somebody made these chemicals. Somebody lived near industrial facilities that are dumping these chemicals. You know, it's not, it's not just the small amount in our end product that is a problem. And I think we really need to recognize that. Um, and you know, with the, there's a lot of talk now around the intersection between, um, environmental toxins and race and different neighborhoods and I think that's a great um, conversation to be having because it's not just about the tiny amount that's in our shampoo Um, Mm -hmm. but at the same time it is about the tiny amount that's in our shampoo because what we're finding and this is one reason why I started focusing on hormone disruptors is again the research is showing that the idea of a substance only being toxic at high amounts, which is like, again, old toxicology thinking um, that doesn't hold true for hormone disruptors. And so we're seeing that these very low amounts because the hormone disrupting chemicals um, act in the body in a few different ways, but they do a really good job at mimicking our hormones and hormones are so small in our bodies that it doesn't take a lot for the hormone disrupting chemicals to, um, mimic them or interrupt the way that they, they work in their kind of latch key system or how they get metabolized. And so with all of these different moving parts, the environmental levels that we are exposed to in very low amounts are um, absolutely causing harm. So that's kind of a two-layered um, response, I think, to the belief that small amounts don't matter.
1: Can we, um, like, just extend from that conversation about hormone disruptors, um, where is this really important? Like, if we're coming kind of back to our listeners and them thinking about their health and their family's health, um, what times of life or periods of life or situations where we really see highlighted the the, the problems with, like, this overexposure of, of environmental toxins
2: the most vulnerable population uh, are children and so it really it starts at preconception um, you know I I wish that somebody had talked to me about preconception care because it that was non-existent when uh, when I had started planning to have a family um, but preconception and prenatal exposures, Um, are very important and they can have uh, lasting impacts on the baby. And again, it's not that, you know, a particular, you can control necessarily a particular exposure, but it's accumulation over time. Um, And it could result in something 20 years down the line, right? It's Mm -hmm. not necessarily a a, a direct impact. So, um, but they have shown there, there has been, a fair bit of research on um, pregnant mothers in particular and uh, the impact of certain chemicals like pesticides are are a big one that's studied. Um, Phthalates, that's another common uh, hormone disruptor, studies on BPA, all of these things are showing um, impacts in children down the line. So the um, World Health Organization has identified um, that children, which is from You know, fetus right through to the end of adolescence have various windows of vulnerability. And because their systems are changing at a pace that we don't experience as adults and they're, you know, babies are born too soon for humans, right? So they're still developing when they're out of the womb even. Um, And so really minimizing the exposures to these chemicals right from uh, preconception, all the way through their childhood, is going to help their bodies develop, um, hopefully, more uh, successfully and without um, without being disrupted.
1: So, yeah, so it's that, that early life from preconception through pregnancy. And pregnancy is not as protected as we once thought. I think you had mentioned that yeah. earlier on. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, there have been... Um, the EWG and Environmental Defense have done a couple uh, small studies, but they've looked at the cord blood of newborns and measured. They've measured um, hundreds of chemicals in the cord blood that they many of them pre- we previously thought was protected by the placenta.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: so, you know, one of the studies they titled "Pre-Polluted." Um, So babies are being born that way. And some of it we can't control. A lot of these chemicals, unfortunately, are so ubiquitous in our environment. They're in our soil, our air, our water. We cannot realistically do anything about them. Um, But that's why it's also so important that we control what we can. Because the the, the goal is never, like, it drives me crazy when people talk about, like, going... um, toxin-free or chemical-free, which is a whole other issue. Um, But there's no such thing. And so I think your goal should never be to avoid toxins altogether. The goal is to reduce your exposure as much as possible so that your body's innate immune and detoxification systems can handle what we can't control. Yeah.
0: There's so many, like, there's so many parallels from what you're saying to like good naturopathic, I think management too, right? Like yeah. we talked about this, like perfection with diet is kind of like, I mean, sure it's a goal maybe, but you're never going to get it. And you still, you, you want to minimize the bad stuff and still have a, still have some enjoyment of life. And like you said, control what you can yeah. and, and that that's all you can really do. You're stuck in this environment on this earth. We can't instantly clean up what's been done, but yeah, there's some inspiration to be taken from just controlling what you can.
1: Yeah. And it it, actually, what you just said there to remind it, it, we're kind of becoming like fish, right? So because we've, we've dumped all these chemicals in our ocean, we've ruined the ocean. The fish are now toxic. Like their most healthiest food source this Mm -hmm. planet has ever given us is now laden with chemical crap or toxic crap. And then the little big fish eat the little fish and then it just compounds. And then we eat the fish. So it's really sad to think of that with our babies, too. But, like, you know, we're exposed over our lifetime. You know, we conceive, we have a baby, and the you know, it's in the umbilical cord, they're exposed, and then they're exposed through their life. So it's, like, such a compounding problem that... Yeah. It feels really big sometimes.
2: Okay, give us something does, inspiring. Right? Give us something yeah.
0: inspiring after all that Debbie Downer news.
2: <laughs> well, and one of the things that, that kind of keeps me going is so my children are now five and a half, eight and a half. And when I see my daughter making decisions that are supporting her health and she recognizes the bigger impact that, like, I know that she is, she is being set up for longer-term success because of it. Yeah. So the more that we can set ourselves and our families up with this as just being normal, the more they can uh, educate others, the more we can kind of vote with our dollar and be buying products that aren't contributing to environmental pollution and pollution of our bodies. Um, And so I think, you know, these small changes at home really do – have a much bigger impact when we have these conversations. Like I talk to my kids about why I won't buy them certain things from the dollar store. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I don't talk about like heavy metal toxicity and, and stuff, but I will say, you know, there are certain ingredients in these products that can um, hurt your brain. And then the question comes, well, why does so-and-so use it? And so it becomes this, you know, big educational Mm -hmm. conversation. Um, But at this point for me, doing nothing is no longer an option.
1: Yeah. And yeah, I want to, so it's interesting because my my kids are now five and a half and eight and a half. And when they came into this world, I was like on it, (laughs) right? Like I had hours in the day, uh, breastfeeding to like go on the EWG and like compare all the like all the diaper creams and like look at the score and like order the cloth diapers and like get the best sunscreen and like I had the wax paper on the like instead of saran wrap and like I oh I was on it like I was like as good as possible and then it became five and eight somehow overnight and life is just blown up and I take the shortcuts, right? Like I use a saran wrap or I, you know, oh my gosh, it's camp tomorrow, wear a sunscreen, buy the, you know, I'm pretty good still, but yeah. I can tell that it's slid and it, it really becomes overwhelming because just like our food, our environment is so set up, that that's the normal that it almost feels like a push to yes. try to maintain that level of, Toxin free perfection. So, this is what you do. This is what you help moms with. So, can you give us some ideas of like just how to make this feel less overwhelming?
2: Yeah. Um, I think the first step is to breathe. Okay, (laughs) thank you. And and recognize that, you know, there is no such thing as perfection, but um, look at I think picking a couple things that you know that you want to change and should change and really staying focused for the first little bit on that. And so I typically break down exposures by um, what you eat and drink. So what you're ingesting, uh, what you absorb through your skin and what you inhale. And so by breaking it out into categories, then you can further like pick a room in your house and just kind of laser focus, start with a certain type of product. I usually start with personal care products and cleaners because they're we go through them fairly quickly. um, So they're easy to replace, like they're fairly low cost items Mm -hmm. and we are exposed to them every day. The research is very clear that they are ending up in our bodies when we use these Mm -hmm. products. And the ingredients are on the label when it comes to personal care products and learning how to become an informed consumer and um, reading labels, which is annoying, I know, but really starting to question what is on a label and getting comfortable with the marketing language is step number one. And that is going to help you with everything that you purchase kind of going forward. So, um, you know, for a lot of people, they start with personal care and cleaners. So if you haven't started there yet, that's where I suggest. And then from there, you can, once you get the kind of hang of it and once you find a product that works for you, I find a lot of people end up with shiny object syndrome and they get kind of stuck in the personal care and cleaners bucket. And they're just like, oh, well, I haven't tried that product. So let me try that one. Or, oh, this is a new thing. Let me try that. Look, when you find something that is healthy and works, just stick with it and move on to the next bucket. Otherwise, you'll only ever deal with your personal care and cleaners when there's this whole other massive stuff in your house to deal with. Um, And so don't get stuck in that um, marketing uh, madness that is so rampant out there um, would be my kind of starting point. for. Yeah, that's so easy to
0: do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Part of uh, it, we've sort of circled around this uh, concept that I wanted to ask you even quite a few uh, minutes ago, which is about um, business, it, uh, business and economics having uh, an influence on. Because you talked about research, and even more today than ever. That am I saying? Oh my God, the research is so it's kind of skewed, politicized. Yeah. So it must be difficult sometimes to find. Um, equal sort of oomph for some of the research that you're looking for because um, I wonder about economic interests in things kind of staying the way they are and mm-hmm. we could we could probably extrapolate this to some other issues that we're dealing with uh, at coronavirus times Um <laughs> So how do you, how do you see that fitting into everything like economic, uh, interests affecting the research or the lack of, is there a lack of funding for research for this stuff? Because in the end that means it's going to compromise some probably very established corporations, businesses and such. Like, is that too big or is, can you touch on it a little bit?
2: Yep. Yeah, yeah, I can for sure. Um, so that's the problem with just relying on, uh, solid research is somebody had to fund that research, right? And so the only um, knowns that we have is because they have been studied for a long time. And so luckily that research is building. The issue, especially with chemicals that have a strong industry behind them, is um, the lobby groups are incredibly powerful. And we have seen this right from um, cigarettes, they have been using the exact same playbook as the tobacco industry. We've seen it with flame retardants. Um, we've seen it with Teflon. If you have not seen the documentary, The Devil We Know, The Devil You Know on Netflix or uh, the Mark Ruffalo film, Dark Waters. It was I so good. Dark Waters was really them. good. Yeah. They tell the exact same story. One is Hollywoodized. One is like an actual documentary. Um,
1: Funny thing, a a funny story about dark waters. I've been telling my parents, I get mad at my mom every time she cooks because she cooks with a scratched Teflon pan. (laughs) And I'm like, mom, I like, you have got to throw that out or she'll come at the Teflon pan with like a metal spatula. And I like, I I get mad at her every time. And I'm like, you have got, so, so my dad calls me after Kara, have you seen the show? Dark waters. (laughs) I just threw out all of mommy's pans. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Like don't listen to your daughter who you put no. through naturopathic no. college, but no. you can listen to Mark Ruffalo.
0: At Masters, naturopath, not good enough.
1: Yeah.
0: Gotta to listen to Mark Ruffalo.
1: Sorry, that's an aside, yeah. but No, it, it is it's a very it powerful the resistance. film. Yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah. No, it's a great if you do have a um naysayer in your life, that is a they're there are two really good options. Yeah. Um and so we've seen like we we constantly see industry pushing up against the consumer and environmental groups who raise concern about this. And it slows the process down substantially. And we see this happening, which means that the the ability to make regulations then gets delayed. So the science takes years or decades. Mm-hmm. The advocacy takes some years to mount their case. At which point the lobbyists have had enough time to counter the advocacy work, and then the political side of things also is impacted by the time and lobbying as well. And so we've seen um, we've seen this play out over and over and over again. Um, and it's even it it plays a role in our water treatment standards. Like there are certain areas of North America that have known um, contaminated water from industry, but the expense of upgrading the water treatment systems in the cities affected is too great for the municipality to set the test levels low enough to actually help our health. And so it's it is a constant um, struggle between the science and the money and the politics for sure. And
1: that's probably where, as you were mentioning, like minority populations are disadvantaged or um, populations in poverty are probably living closer to those industrial um, mysteries.
0: yeah, it'd be, it's it sounds like <clears throat> like function of what you're trying to do comes first and foremost like uh, making a toxic cleaner that cleans something really well. That's all that matters is it cleans it really well. The consumer goes, oh, hooray, my stove is so shiny,
1: and they're then, buying it often. Yeah, right? you, as yeah. you said, you're cleaning exactly. every day, and yeah.
0: then you have to go and find all the research to show like, or you have to do all the work to show that you know there's some problems with this and and all that. So it's, it becomes this really like. Um, it sounds like a not very informed design. Whereas no, if a, the future a, would be like, okay, if we just design something from the beginning which had these principles, it might it might not be able to get something on the market that works as well as quickly, but in the end, it's kinda of like natural product medicine or whatever, like that long game. It end it it sounds like the proper design of a product or whatever would be like, okay, how what is what is the end of this product? Like begin with the end in mind as yes. a, you know that old that old saying. Yeah. I don't know if that you can touch on that a little bit or.
2: Yeah. And that it talks about the regulatory system in North America and it's a um, post-market system. And so Mm -hmm. they, you know, we don't have to have full toxicological testing of either individual ingredients or combinations of ingredients. And it's the combination of chemicals that have a totally different reaction to the individuals as well. And so the, um, ingredients or products get put on store shelves and yes there are some kind of checks and balances to make sure that again it's not going to kill somebody um or and companies will test to make sure that like a lotion isn't sending a whole bunch of people into horrible rashes because that's just bad pr but in terms of actual long-term effects we really aren't as protected as a lot of people think we are based on regulations and one of the reasons that the um Mar- the regulations in North America are keep being compared to Europe is they're, they act on the same science, they just respond to it differently. And they are more prone to the precautionary principle, which is if a chemical has the potential to cause harm, we should be avoiding it. Whereas in North America, we kind of treat these as innocent until proven guilty as opposed to guilty until proven innocent. And so just because something isn't proven to cause harm doesn't mean it won't it just means it hasn't been studied necessarily. Um, and the scientific like <clears throat> scientific proof a doesn't exist but the again the time it takes to mount the evidence um, is a lot but it's 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 really frustrating when I see stuff like BPA. It is a hormone disruptor. It got a lot of press when the research came out. Um, And so companies were left scrambling. A bunch of them removed BPA before they were regulated. Health Canada and the FDA came out saying, okay, baby bottles and teethers need to be BPA free. But by the time all of that happened, industry just replaced BPA which is a bisphenol. So they replace BPA, at BPA with BPS or BPF, which are also bisphenols. So it's not, you know, they don't necessarily react in the same way, but there was no testing or no requirement for them to demonstrate that bisphenol S and F aren't going to respond in our bodies the same way as bisphenol A. And guess what? BPS and BPF are shown to be the same hormone disruptor, um, have the same hormone disrupting issues as BPA. But so it's a, a product it's a can thing. slap BPA-free on a label and everyone's exactly. like, oh, great, it's fine. Exactly. But we don't know what's in it.
0: I was thinking the same thing happens in nutrition labeling too, right? You can yes. say like uh, yes. gluten-free and it's like... got uh, 80 grams of sugar. It's like, well, yeah, it doesn't have any gluten. That's true.
2: True. Yes. <laughs>
0: It'll just give you diabetes if you eat yeah. enough. You know, it's like
2: yeah.
0: same sort of sleight of hand there.
2: Yeah. And that's where, again, the label reading and the kind of understanding marketing and really we are at a point now where we need to be more educated as consumers than I think Ever before, because the information coming at us is fast and furious, and the risk has never been so great. So um, that's kind of where I I try to straddle the line of, um, you know, giving a man a fish so that he can eat for a day. You know, having the product recommendations, all that stuff, because we all need to save time. Nobody wants to, you know, be spending. Um, hours and wasting money on stuff that doesn't work. But I also think it's really important to teach you how to fish so that you can, you know, when your favorite product gets discontinued or your favorite store closes down or they change a formula or what have you, you know how to overcome that instead of constantly needing um, to go through that process.
1: Can you give us some quick hits? Because I know um, I'm hoping a lot of people will want to work with you because, I know there are other overwhelmed moms out there like me who, who really find this is important for their families, but just don't know where to start. And I love that you kind of help people go through that process. Can you give a little bit of bait of like some quick hits of like, really meaningful switches? Or I don't know if if there's anything that comes up that you can think of there?
2: Yeah, so, um, you know, a lot of people think that model your whole home to make an impact. Um, And so I I think it's important to recognize that there are um, habits and simple things that you can make in your day. Oh, I am frozen. Can you hear me?
1: I think we can still hear you. You froze for a little bit, but I think the audio is going okay.
2: Okay, sorry. That's okay. Um, I'm going to stop this and see what happens. So, I think it's important to recognize that there are, you know, the small changes you can make and medium changes and then big changes. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can. Yeah. Okay. I can't see you at all. So.
1: Oh, you can't see us now.
2: Okay. I'm going to keep going. Um, So simple things. So personal care and cleaners, that's where I would start. And then looking at things like getting fresh air. um, Studies have shown that outside air is um, more polluted than or inside air is more polluted than outside air. And it's because so I've talked a lot about personal care and cleaning products already. So that is where, um, I suggest that people start. But a lot of times, um, people get hung up on that being kind of the only thing you can do aside from remodeling your home. And so, um, there are a lot of interim steps. I don't, I, I don't subscribe to throwing everything out and starting from scratch. You know, I don't even suggest that people get rid of Teflon pans unless they're scratched. That would be a good suggest or good solution. <laughs> um, and so looking at um, the simple habits that you can. It's important to recognize that it, it doesn't just have to be product based. So um, improving outside air is one, or improving inside air um, is another great step. And really the easiest way to do that is to get more fresh air in your home. Mm. And that can be uh, as simple as open windows. Um, if you're in a new home, they are designed to be sealed up. And so it's great for energy efficiency Uh, less great for air quality. So make sure you know how to, um, if you're in a new home, like use your um, ventilation system appropriately. Use your bathroom exhaust fan when you're showering or having a bath and keep it running. Use your kitchen fan. Um, Those are super easy habits that can actually get um, fresh air moving through your home. Some other quick hits, one thing that I think is not talked about enough, and I think it's out of fear that it's um, expensive, is water and um, filtering your water. And I think it's something that, yes, it does come at a cost, but when you think about cost benefit, water is something that you're drinking so much of, hopefully, um, on a daily basis that Investing in a water filter um, will pay back in space, and I think a lot of people get sucked into a lot of small changes that end up costing um, maybe less money individually, individually, but more money over time. When if you could set that aside for a good water filter, um, mm-hmm. yeah. that is a, that's a good one. Um, and dusting—that is the other kind of hidden tip. Nobody likes to dust, but if you're looking for a cost-effective solution, dust, studies on dust have actually shown very high concentrations of things like flame retardants that are in our electronics and our furniture um, and the chemicals that are in personal care and cleaning products. And so, especially if you've got young children at home um, who are crawling around or eating things off of the floor, that sort of thing, Dusting areas where you can be reintroducing the dust into the air can um, go a long way to reducing your exposure to some of these things that settle out. So those are a few um, kind of quick-ish, high high reward, I guess, changes that I would suggest.
0: That dust one is really, I I never knew that. That's like the most surprising one of, of the ones that you mentioned there. That's really cool.
1: And I love, some of those are not expected, like, the And I, I think naturopaths are good at that, at looking at ways to optimize health that aren't perhaps, you know, what we would expect. And those answers, all I actually would not have thought of. And yet they make so much sense when, mm-hmm. when you think about them. So, yeah, thank you. I, I really like that. My quick hit, I'll tell you my favorite swap I've ever made was um, swapping to, like, the Norwex window cloths. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and my husband wasn't sold he kept trying to find the bottle of windex from the garage (laughs) to clean like i mean i shouldn't complain because he likes to clean the windows but i'm like could you just try these cloths like i was using them inside on mirrors and stuff and uh i'm like just try them i bet you you will you will really like them and uh so he was doing our back patio he's like oh my gosh, there's no streaks. It was like <laughs> 50 bucks. I've had them for like five years. And uh, he's like, okay, you win the bet. I'm like, okay, well, take off your shirt. You're going to watch all the windows <laughs> have <they> naked. <again." laughs> so that was a win in many ways. That's awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So um, maybe we can you can let people know, Emma, where they can find you and, and find all your amazing, because you have tons of information. I was checking it out. It's so good. So could you maybe share a couple places where people can find you?
2: Yeah, so, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Emma underscore green at home. And then all of my resources, I've got um, lots of blog posts and product guides and downloadables and stuff. You can find that on my website at green at And my Facebook group is the green product forum. Um, and it's got thousands of members in there who are. Uh, super supportive. It's um, a group that I've spent a fair bit of time curating to get the um, vibe that I want. And uh, so that's a great place to go for input and recommendations from others. Awesome.
1: You know what? I can't let you go without asking us juicier question. (laughs) (laughs) I would expect nothing less. I know. I just, we can't let it go. So COVID, Mm -hmm. everyone is cleaning the shit out of everything. (laughs) Oh, God. What are the problems? Like, I'm just curious because, right, we're balancing risk here. Yeah. I'm just, I'm curious from a very educated environmental engineer and scientist and uh, just what thoughts come up when we're kind of trying to navigate this new
2: landscape? This new normal? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I have a whole unit it totally in shaking his head on right COVID um, because of this. It is such a different landscape. So, The Coles notes, the good thing is that coronavirus is a very weak type of virus. And so it is easily destroyed by regular soap and water. Mm -hmm. And so that's why all of the hand-washing recommendations are just use soap and water, wash your hands um, with the rubbing for um, Mm -hmm. 20 seconds, and then it washes the virus down the drain, um, the destroyed virus cells. So... Where, and then on the disinfecting side of things and like the hand sanitizers, so the, the hand sanitizers are all alcohol-based for the most part. So alcohol-based hand sanitizers, when you don't have access to soap and water, there's nothing technically wrong with them. Um, I don't recommend using um, soap uh, with um, disinfecting, oh, Antimicrobial. That's what I'm looking for. Right, right. Hand soap um, because it's just not needed, and that's where you run into ingredients like triclosan, which is a hormone disruptor as well, Um, and it is a common ingredient um, in disinfecting hand soaps. Um, When it comes to like children going back to school and entering workspaces and whatnot, where you might not know or you might not be in love with the cleaning processes. Um, There are a lot of less toxic products out there, Um, and so you might be surprised to learn that your school is using something that is actually a safer alternative. Hydrogen peroxide has been um, shown to be effective or is on the effective list anyways um, from Health Canada and the FDA, and so some products might be using um, quats, are the more harmful um disinfecting ingredients some of them might be using quads but you might actually find that they're using a hydrogen peroxide based one so i think it's important not to panic until you get the facts because just because a disinfectant is being used it doesn't mean that it is um going to have other health effects so um it is this balance, right? Like, I mm-hmm. I don't subscribe to disinfecting everything um, on a normal basis because it removes all of the bacteria, and that's a whole other conversation about bacteria and microbiome and yes. gut health <laughs> and all that. Um, but we are at a time when we need to find a balance. And so um, the good news is that there there are products out there that do balance effectiveness with least risk to our health.
1: Those are great Coles notes. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Honestly, I really, um, I've learned a lot in this conversation. And uh, and uh, I look I, I think a lot of people listening will, you know, it's something we probably intuitively know, but perhaps not the extent of how important it is. And then at the end of the day, we get overwhelmed with making mm-hmm. those decisions. So I think a lot of people will really love um, looking at your website and, and your Facebook group to kind of start learning how to make the changes for their
2: family. Awesome. I hope so. And yeah, if anyone has any questions, feel free to uh, feel free to reach out. Awesome.
0: Hey, thanks so much, Emma.
2: Thank you.
1: Thank you.
0: Bye. Bye.